Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have on as our guest, Dr. Bethany Vaudry. She's a clinical psychologist and founder of Sunlight Psychological Services, a child psychology practice in the Los Angeles area. She earned her doctorate in clinical psychology from Azusa Pacific University. She gained extensive training at some of California's leading child psychology centers, including Pacific Clinics, Hathaway Sycamores, and the UC Davis Children's Hospital. Dr. Vaudry completed her postdoctoral fellowship at the Child and Family Guidance Center, where she stayed on as a supervising psychologist for several years. In 2019, she founded Sunlight Psychological Services in Agora Hills with a mission to cultivate relational wellness for the whole family. She and her team specialize in parent-child interaction therapy, a leading evidence-based family therapy for parents and children under eight. It supports parents in real-life situations by providing live coaching through a two-way mirror. Parents learn new skills rapidly, which often brings quick relief to chaotic households. Today, we have a lively conversation about parent-child interaction therapy, or PCIT, and her approach to helping parents parent in an authentic and joyful way. Welcome, Dr. Vaudry. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so today is a, I love doing episodes on parenting because I'm a parent and I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are also parents are always kind of looking for ways to understand parenting and how to think about parenting differently. And I'm excited to talk about the specific type of work you do, which is PCIT. So if you want to maybe tell us what that is. PCIT stands for Parent-Child Interaction Therapy. It's this very unique type of family therapy for kids ages two to seven. The difference between PCIT and other types of therapy for kids is that instead of me as the therapist doing play therapy interventions with your preschooler for 45 minutes once a week, I'm actually going to teach you, the parent, some of those skills that are going to be very healing for your child. And the parent is going to do that work with them because the parent is the central figure in that child's life. The parent-child relationship is so foundational to mental health. So instead of me, just some nice lady playing with you for 45 minutes, your parent is going to do those things. And it's super, super effective for kids. What does PCIT actually um, include in terms of the therapy that you do? That's a good question. So PCIT is so interesting because in most clinics, PCIT involves a two-way mirror. So in our clinic here, we have an observation room, which is basically just a playroom, toys, table and chairs and then a two-way mirror. And then through that two-way mirror is the observation room with the therapist back there. So the therapist will actually not just teach the parent skills and information about child mental health and all of that, but then give them an opportunity to kind of in real time practice those skills. So we'll be on the other side. The parent wears a little earpiece. The child can't hear, just the parent can. And so then we can give live coaching through real life situations to help them manage the different things that come up with their kids. And then this question of like a typical referral, what typically would you see behind those two-way mirrors and come in? (laughs) So I like to say that our specialty at our clinic is little people with big feelings. So usually the kids that we're getting referred are in preschool or kindergarten, they're ages two to six, typically sometimes seven. And they have what clinically we would consider disruptive behavior. So that's things like 
tantruming, aggression, whining, crying, clinging, anything that's kind of like causing problems, getting in the way at home, in the community, or in school. We see a lot of defiance. A lot of parents describe their kids as, you know, he goes zero to 60 so fast, or he's so rigid, or he he gets so angry so quickly. Oftentimes, the parents themselves are experiencing some symptoms too, as a result of this fractured, stressful relationship. So the parents maybe are coming in feeling stressed, feeling guilty, feeling very worried about their kid. Oftentimes, even some resentment, right? Where like, this is not what I thought parenting was going to be like. I thought it would be a little bit more fulfilling or a little bit more fun than this. That's something that we hear in the majority of our our families is that kind of resentment piece. And, you know, some of our referrals are, are fairly mild where it's like, oh, this kid's whining a lot and clinging a lot and, you know, having some tantrums here and there. And it's still distressing to the family, but it's fairly mild in the clinical sense all the way up to we've had kids who have broken windows and destroyed leather couches and broken family members' bones and some pretty extreme behaviors as well. And, you know, these are four or five, six-year-old kids with some pretty out-of-control behaviors sometimes. Well, I wonder, it might be helpful to make up an example of maybe a typical reason that someone might come in would be, like you had mentioned, a kid who's whining. And I know it's so complex in terms of how you do this, but Could you maybe walk us through a little bit how you might be coaching through that and helping parents with that? Yeah, absolutely. So almost every kid that we see has whining as part of their presentation. I mean, if you've never met a three-year-old, you know, they're whining to some extent. Typically, whining is accompanied by or precedes explosive behavior. So usually it starts as whining and then it can escalate pretty quickly into like yelling or tantruming. So basically... What we do is we start off with kind of an observation. So we'll bring the family in and we do a, not even coaching, more of an observation. So we'll bring the parent and the child in together and we'll record notes on how are they interacting? What are they saying? What are they doing? What's the child saying? What's the child doing? What strategies are these two using on each other to try to get their way or to try to get closer or to try to keep the peace? What skills do they already have? Where is there some opportunity for some shifting and some growth? So we do that first. And then we do a few parent-only sessions where we really dive into the behaviors, what's been happening, what's bothering you the most. We use some standardized measures that they'll fill out to actually kind of give us some numbers on how distressed they are, what number of problems they're experiencing. We kind of smoosh all that together And we do a few sessions of unpacking what's been going on for you all in this family. What's been going on in your parent-child relationship? What's causing some of these situations to emerge? And we try to identify some of the factors at play because it's not linear. It's not like, oh, this child's spoiled. And so he's whining and the parent gives in and that's it. You just got to stop. It's never so simple. There's so many factors that go into it, right? There's temperament factors. There's environmental factors. There's the parent's own mental health and relationship history. There's sometimes medical factors or developmental factors. So we kind of try to talk about all of those things. And then we try to equip the parents with some specific things to do and say. In PCIT, we talk a lot about what's called the PRIDE skills, which is, of course, an acronym because in psychology, we can't stop with the acronyms. And it stands for praise, reflect, imitate, describe, and enthusiasm or enjoy. And those are sort of five different things that a parent can be doing during their playtime with their kid to really elevate the experience for that child and and reduce some of the stress. One thing that I've added to PCIT, it's like my own little thing that I, I like to do with parents is I call it the pie chart exercise. 
So in that initial meeting, before I've even met the kid, I have the parents, I give them three markers. I give them a red, a green, and a yellow. And I ask them to make for me a pie chart of the average day with their child, waking hours only, them sleeping doesn't count. And I have them fill it in. What percentage of your interactions with your kid are what I call green interactions, life-giving, joyful, they make you go, gosh, I'm glad I'm a parent. This is nice. I like this. That's green. Yellow is neutral. It's not particularly good, particularly bad. You know, we're just eating a sandwich or whatever. And then red is obviously the opposite of green. Red is, this is draining. I hate this. This is stressing me out. I don't want to be doing this right now. Why did I have this child? And I have them actually kind of do a baseline pie chart for me. And then we use that pie chart to conceptualize our overarching goal is to change that red to green ratio, (laughs) is to have way more green time together and way less red time. So that's sort of the framework that I use with families is, is trying to think of what are some things we can do to stop engaging in these kind of cyclical negative interactions together, these power struggles, this critical talk. And then what are some things we can do to create and cultivate some joy together and some fun times together? I mean, that's the goal, right? <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> we want green, all green is possible. No, all green is not possible. I'm a parent. I'm here to tell you that all green is not a reasonable goal. <laughs> right. As you're talking, it made me wonder about differences in parenting styles between parents. Mm-hmm. What happens when <laughs> in families, which I think almost all families, when there's like one parent who has different views on discipline or ideas of like different degrees of discipline, how do you navigate that? Oh my gosh, you've just described every family that exists, <laughs> including my own. Yeah, it's, that's such a common issue, right? And we kind of call it the good cop, bad cop situation. So, so often parents will come in and they'll say, Oh, often in a you know cisgendered heterosexual couple, it's often the male partner that has kind of gotten pushed into this disciplinarian role. And obviously I'm making some broad generalizations here. This is not in every family. This is just a typical thing I might see. And the male partner might be pushed into this kind of like, oh no, I said no position where they have to enforce, enforce, enforce. And then the female caregiver might be like, oh, well, I need to nurture because he's so hard on him. So I have to be... And then they're both so resentful of each other, right? Mom's over here resentful of dad because dad's too hard on him in her mind, too hard on this guy and, and, and criticizing him too much. And, and then dad's over there resentful. Like I didn't become a parent so that I could yell at some three-year-old. This feels terrible. Like I hate doing this. This is, so they're both feeling upset. Neither of them are happy with the role that they've kind of found themselves stuck in. And what I like to say to families like that, which I see so, so, so often is the good news is that ideal parenting has high levels of warmth and friendliness and high levels of authority and being in charge. And each of you is nailing it on one of those. (laughs) And that's great. So actually, you guys are not on opposite teams. You are very much on the same team. You each have something so important to offer the other parent. And each of you really needs an opportunity to exit your role and to try the other role. So in this pretend situation I made up, dad, PCIT is going to really focus with you on helping you find ways to be more warm and fun and get those connecting moments that you want, that you've been craving, but you haven't been able to have. And for mom, you've been feeling powerless sometimes with this kid. You told me he walks all over you. You told me he bullies you. You said he bullies you. We don't need a three-year-old bullying you. You're 37 years old. Like we want you to feel like you're in charge and you have some control here. So we're going to try to up dad's warmth 
and up mom's authority. And you guys are so perfectly situated to help each other do that because you both know how to do one of these two things. So in an ideal situation, we want parents who are what's called authoritative parents. That's Diana Baumrein's longitudinal study of parenting styles where the parents who had high levels of warmth, responsiveness, friendliness, and high levels of control. Those are actually the parents whose kids had the best long-term outcomes. Okay. Maybe asking to go one step further of (laughs) how do you then teach them to do that? Absolutely. So PCIT takes place in two phases and it's kind of naturally breaks down into the first phase lends itself more towards the, how do we be responsive piece? The pride skills, for example, we talk a lot in the first phase of PCIT about how can we engage our child in a special time together, five, 10 minutes a day of child led play. So this is not, oh, running an errand together, even playing a board game together, which is fun and good. And I'm not saying don't play Candyland, but for special time, it's something different. Special time is an armistice where we lay down our arms, we come up for air from our power struggles, and there's no winner and loser. There's no competition. We're just meeting each other halfway. We're joining together. We're collaborating on toys. So this is when I have parents join in whatever toys their kid wants to play with and practice those pride skills that I mentioned. Praise them for what they do right. Repeat back what they're saying to you. Imitate how they play. Describe what you see them doing with the toys and show a lot of enthusiasm. That first phase really focuses a lot on what to do more of, right? Do a lot more of this, as well as some things that we try to actually minimize and reduce, things that are not inherently wrong or bad to do, but are less helpful to our goal of that green and red ratio. So things like asking your child a bunch of questions, for example, we often default to questions as a way to show that we're interested in what a kid's doing. It comes from such a beautiful place of connection. But unfortunately, kids actually get stressed out by questions. They're not allowed to ignore you. That's rude. They have to answer you. But if you're like in the zone working on a project and someone keeps popping into your office and asking you questions about it, you're going to get very frustrated. And that's how it is for a child who's playing with their toys. They have a vision. They know exactly what they want to do. And then if a parent's just asking, what color is that? What does the cow say? What are you going to build next? What do you want me to do? It tends to actually become a red interaction not a green interaction. So we talk a little bit about avoiding or minimizing questions, minimizing negative talk, things like, oh, don't do that to me. Stop that. Don't talk to me like that. I don't like that. Anything critical. That's a red interaction. And we only are trying to do green during that special time. That's that's a long answer. That the second phase is more discipline focused. So the second phase, we spend a lot less time in it. In my experience, most of the relationship stuff gets improved in the CDI, that first phase. And that tends to resolve the majority of the behavior issues, just that alone. And then if there's some lingering stuff, some lingering hitting or aggression or things like that, in the second phase, we do teach discipline strategies. How do you tell a child effectively what to do? Because oftentimes we'll say things like, okay, time to clean up. And that's not actually like super helpful because you're just like giving me information about like what time it is, but you're not actually, you've not told me what to do. So talking about being a little more clear, a little more direct and specific with how we tell kids what to do, and then being really predictable with how we follow up with that, whether that's with a consequence or a phrase. Why do you think it is that most of those behaviors, the majority of behaviors tend to get cleared up in that first phase? Why is that? 
I think that the parent-child relationship, and when I say parent, I don't necessarily mean like biological parent. I just mean caregiver. So if this is a foster parent, a grandparent, whoever is that attachment figure, the parent-child relationship is so foundational to relational health for kids and to mental health. We know about newborns. We know that newborns need skin to skin, and we know that our heart rate and their heart rate sync up and our nervous systems mirror each other. We kind of know that, even if you're not a psychologist, you've heard of that. But what we forget is that that doesn't just like turn off when they're nine months old or 12 months old or 36 months old. That's a slow, slow, slow weaning process into adulthood. And even in adulthood, you're still co-regulating with your family members to some extent. Your nervous systems are still intimately linked together. And so if that relationship isn't working, for a child, that's going to be deeply dysregulating, deeply disturbing. And as it is for parents, right? It feels horrible when your kid's screaming. It feels horrible. <laughs> it's a very bad feeling. And then you feel very bad. So then they feel very bad. And it creates this kind of yucky cycle of the kid doing something you don't like, and then you correcting them or telling them to stop it, and then them doing it more, and then you raise your voice. And, then, and it just spirals and spirals and it goes on all day. And everyone kind of starts to feel gross. So if we can resolve that, that cycle, if we can break that vicious negative cycle, what you're doing is you're restoring this huge asset for not just the child, but for the parent, which is that healthy relationship. And that healthy relationship is so foundational to all other types of health, even things like sleep, eating, right? It's not just behavior. It's all these things are linked together. So resolving that parent-child attachment relationship kind of restores this deep sense of peace and okayness that kids need in order to then go and develop and do the other tasks of childhood. Okay. Another question, as I am a parent of some adolescent children, then I know you work with preschoolers and kindergartners, but how does this translate to older children and parenting? That's a great question. That's a great question. I will say parenting in these ways will make parenting your older children easier. So if you parent in these ways when they're younger, it makes it easier because you're going to have more of a well to draw from relationally. But I think some of these principles translate all the way through into adult relationships and even marital relationships. So things like take the pride skills, for example, praise. Telling a teenager, hey, I really appreciate that you got yourself out of bed and got it ready for school on time this morning. I felt so respected by that. Like, thank you for taking care of that. That's so responsible. That is going to have such an impact on a kid, no matter how old, versus on the day that they fail to do that. Timmy, you've done it again. You're making this late. This is so annoying. I have a job to do, you know, I got it. And the difference there is focusing on the positive and strengthening what you like about a kid versus criticizing what you don't. And that kind of key principle, my business is called Sunlight Psychological Services. And I named it after this metaphor that I have kind of used over the last decade or so, that you as the parent are the sun, you are the center of the universe. And whatever you shine your beautiful light down on, that's what will grow and flourish. Whatever you put into the shade is what will kind of go away. So if you as the parent are shining your attention, like by talking about, noticing, describing negative stuff, if you're like, oh, Ava is always complaining or Timmy's always so shy or something you don't like. That's what's going to grow. That's who they will continue to develop into. They'll think of themselves as I'm someone who can't get out of bed on time. I'm someone who's too shy to make a new friend. I'm some versus if you don't give attention to the problems and instead give attention to the things that you saw that you liked, 
what in PCIT we sometimes call the positive opposite of the problem. So if Timmy's never getting out of bed in time in the morning and you're so frustrated, it's this constant battle. Instead of harping on that, which hasn't been working, instead noticing when he does get up on time or even when he gets up closer to being on time, the positive opposite of the problem, pouring your sunlight down on that is going to strengthen it. So you can, oh my gosh, I was so impressed with how you studied for your, I don't know what tests kids take, <laughs> your, your, your SATs. You've been studying. <laughs> yeah, ask Timmy. You studied so hard for your SATs. Like that was so responsible of you. I really admire your dedication. I really admire how you stuck with it. Then Timmy's going to think of himself as someone who sticks with it, as someone who prepares in advance versus the opposite. Okay. A few more questions before we wrap up. And this is maybe just, I think it's actually a good ending question in some regards. It's like, when does a parent think about therapy to help with this sort of behaviors with their child? Like when should a parent maybe think about that as an option or intervention? That's a great question. I would say with little kids specifically, it's not so much about what the behavior is, right? Because kids are weird. Let's be honest. All preschoolers are so weird. I love them. They are the creepiest, weirdest little guys. <laughs> Don't preschoolers do and say like some of the weirdest stuff? And it's just so funny. So sometimes parents will come in and they'll be like, he told me he wants to chop off his baby brother's head. And they're like, is he a sociopath? I'm like, no, no, no. He's not a sociopath. He's three. And like three-year-olds say creepy stuff. So it's not so much like, oh, this kid did this one behavior. It's more about what's the impact of the behaviors. So how are things going at school? Is he okay at school or are the teachers starting to call home? How are things going in the community when the kids go outside and play? Are the neighbor kids coming home and crying and saying, we don't want to play anymore? Are the other parents texting you and being like, Emmy did that thing again? How are your relationships going at home? Is the relationship problems or the behaviors happening with this kid causing so much stress that it's actually affecting your marriage or that it's affecting your other children, affecting your relationship with your extended family or your friends? So I encourage families to think a bit more in terms of the impact. So a kid who has what I might consider more minor behavior problems, those minor problems might still be causing really significant negative impact. And then I would say therapy is still appropriate. Okay. Another last question I have, and I think also this is actually maybe also a really good ending question has to do with this idea that there are so many different types of parents out there and not one parenting style fits every single parent. Right. And so maybe share some words of wisdom about differences in parenting and flexibility in parenting. I'm just kind of curious about how you think about that. Yeah. I actually talk about this with every family that I meet in the first session, because anytime you're talking about parenting, it's going to raise everyone's anxiety. It's such a sensitive area. And I feel like right now is a really uniquely hard time to be a parent because of social media. I'm a child psychologist and I'm a mom and I unfortunately use social media. And according to Instagram, we have to be feeding our child an all organic Mediterranean diet cut into star shapes and then doing these amazing organic Montessori crafts that are screen free, but child led, but stimulating, but, and it's just exhausting. And it feels like there's so much judgment out there right now, like parent on parent judgment. And so I want to always help parents remember that there is not just one okay way to do it. 50 years ago, what parenting experts were telling people they had to do we are now actively trying to undo. <laughs> and so even 
with experts. Like we're all doing our best, right? We're doing what we think the data supports and what we are pretty sure kids need, but we're just all trying our best. And so if you are trying really hard and you are doing things that feel okay and good to you in your culture and your beliefs, and those things are not causing harm to your child, I think you're probably just fine. <laughs> the only kind of hard and fast thing is we want to really try to avoid any kind of intimidation or fear with our kids. So things like hitting them or screaming at them, those I do think we have enough data to kind of conclusively say we want to really avoid those things. Outside of that, there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of right ways to be a parent. We don't have to do it right every single time. We have to be what Winnicott called the good enough parent, the parent who's mostly pretty okay doing pretty much kind of good majority of the time. That's what I want us all to strive for. Not for perfection and certainly not for Instagram perfection. It's so stressful to me. I'm a literal child psychologist and I look at some of these parenting influencers and they do these videos where they have text popping up and they're pointing at the text and they're shaking their finger and going, no. (laughs) And they point at something else and go, no. And I'm just so stressed out by this as a mom and also as a child psychologist. I'm like, this feels horrible. It feels so bad. And so I try my best to undo some of that with parents and help us feel like, you know what? You're doing okay. You really are. If you're listening to a podcast on parenting, you're probably really doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, here's the beginning of the launch of your social media presence. I don't know what would your name Yes. I point at stuff and go, yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for being on. I hope and I know that this is going to be helpful to the listeners. And I know for me as a parent and clinician, like this was so helpful to me. So I really appreciate you being on. I'm going to make sure that information about your practice is on the episode description. So if the listener wants to learn a bit more about you and PCIT, they know where to go. I'll send you the link for the um, PCIT provider database too. So if someone's listening to in California, they can come to our practice. If they're outside of California, though, you know, they can use these databases to find a PCAP provider. And yeah, that is great because it is sometimes hard for people to know, like, where do I find this type of treatment? Yeah. And PCAT um, is hard to find sometimes because it's, it takes so much training to become certified in PCAT. And then you have to have this kind of unique setup. So it can be hard to find sometimes. Okay. Yeah. So I'll make sure that's on as well. Before we leave, any last words? Sometimes I ask my guests like last words of wisdom to leave the listener with, or was the good enough parent the last word? I feel like that was my last word. (laughs) That was a good one. I don't think we could do any better in the closing because I think that probably is the kind of take home message that like we try our best and we hope that the best is good enough. And also this idea of trying too hard and doing something that just doesn't feel natural might not work out that well either. Yes, absolutely. I feel like people sometimes feel pressure to parent the way that we see modeled, either by our own parents or by influencers or by our friend whose kids are really nice. And trying to imitate someone else's style feels really inauthentic. And kids are very sensitive to inauthentic stuff. If you say something that you don't mean, they're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so parenting in your own authentic way, you can be fully yourself. You can bring your full self into your child's relationship while also being appropriate and being warm and being authoritative and all these things we're trying to be. Let's focus more on what we're trying to be instead of what we're trying to not be or, you know. Thank you for being on and hopefully we'll have you on another time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. 
With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.